0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's great to be back with you again this evening. We're thankful to have been able to enjoy much fellowship with you here in the tent and indeed on the high street and everywhere other place. We've been kept busy. We've been kept busy and we do like to be busy and I know you do as well. And it's great to be able to take this little time with you over these past few days. And the Lord bless you even in the days that lie ahead. I want us to consider a portion of scripture tonight. Let us turn together to the second book in your Bible. That is the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3 we want to consider this evening, please. Exodus chapter 3. In fact, we'll not just contain our thoughts to a couple of words that we have in a verse in Exodus 3. Maybe we'll even read from Exodus chapter 2 as well, please. The end of Exodus 2, I believe, context is king. That is a little phrase that you'll hear if you ever listen to me preaching at all. And I would very much understand if you don't do that. But if you ever hear me at all, there's a couple of phrases that will escape my lips over and over again. One of them is that there is a balance in everything. And the other one is, context is king. For the context, let us read. The words that we read off in the end of chapter two. You find in your copy of God's word, I'm sure, the little paragraph mark at the verse Mark twenty three. And it came to pass. In fact, over this past number of days, well I've been so busy here, it must have been at home. In fact, it was at home on Monday that I looked into that little phrase. And it came to pass. That is one word in the original language. In this case, the Hebrew. One word. A little Hebrewism that we often find repeated over and over and over again. I believe the Spirit of God placed it here in our Bibles. And you'll find that Hebrewism, not just in the Old Testament, but also the New. To remind us that what we have here in our own mother tongue. Think of this, folks. What we have here actually happened. We have this inspired history chronology of what happened back on this particular day. I want us to think this evening for a few moments about what happened a day in the life of this man of God. And it came to pass, verse 23, Exodus chapter 2, in process of time, that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried. Look at this. I love the end of verse 23. I can preach this verse, never mind the next chapter that we intend to. And they cried, but it doesn't end there. And their cry came up unto God by reason of their bondage. The inference is, now we'll see it much clearer in the next verse, but the inference is there it's inferred that God heard that cry. In fact, it's stated in black and white in the very next verse. Verse 24 And God heard their groaning. And God remembered the covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them. That's the context. Now, verse 1 of the next chapter, chapter 3, tells us, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord, look at this, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Let me ask you this evening, even before we read the rest of verse 2. Has the Lord been speaking to you over this past number of nights? Has the Lord been speaking to you recently about a particular matter? Maybe you're not even saved tonight. Maybe you're not saved and you know it. Maybe you don't have that joy within your heart that others around the tent and around this church and fellowship do have. And it's obvious. As the Lord appeared to you, as the Lord revealed himself unto you, we met so many up and down the streets in Oxford over this past couple of days. Some of whom were anxious inquirers. Some of whom it is clear the Lord has been dealing with. What about you tonight? Maybe you are a Christian this evening. Maybe you're seeking to know God's will for your life. I trust that's the case for every true child of God. Has the Lord has been speaking to you over the course of these meetings, over this past few evenings? Is the Lord is speaking to you tonight already? The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. This miracle is described for us here in the second verse. And he, that is Moses, he looked and behold the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. Moses said, I will now turn, turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, I call this. Maybe you've been spoken to repeatedly of late. Well, I call this verse, I call this response from the Lord, God's double knock. Has the Lord been knocking on your heart's door? I'm speaking to thee on sea of tonight, but I'm speaking especially to the believer. We love to use that verse in Revelation chapter 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. We love to use it in Speaking to the unsaved, but really in its context, there's that little word again. In its context, it is the Lord speaking to and indeed challenging his own people. You think about that if you're here tonight. Saved and seeking to know his will for your life. You think about that in the meeting. Look at what it tells in verse 3 and 4, Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the midst of the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place wherein thy standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abram, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then we read of Moses' response how Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. Look at verse 11. Oh, the Lord revealed himself right down through those intervening verses that we. For the sake of time, we'll not read this evening. But look at verse 11. God revealed himself. God revealed his will to this man. But, look at verse 11. I use the word but advisedly. And Moses said unto God, Who am I? Literally in the original. Look at the word am in your authorized verse. The translators of the original text were honest enough to acknowledge whenever they supplied a word to help with it, with the reading and the sense. Literally, that word was not in the original. Literally, Moses' response was, Who? I? Who am I, or who I, that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Look at what we read in verse 12. You see, God always has a response for every one of our questions. God always has a way out. Always has direction. Always has something for us, no matter what our questions might be. In fact, this is a prime example of that. Verse 12, Certainly I will be with thee. This shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt ye shall serve God upon this mountain. Oh, I'd love to read the whole of this passage, yet for the sake of time, let us turn across to the next chapter. I told you I wouldn't confine our comments to merely just a part of a verse. We're not even keeping it to one chapter, two chapters. We're now into the third. Look at what it tells us in verse 10 of chapter 4. Because, let me put it this way, the excuses continue. The span, all these chapters, all these verses. Verse 10. Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither hitherto nor since, hast I spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech and an of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Again, another response. Again, another answer to the concern and the question. Maybe you're tonight, knowing that the Lord is calling you to do something. But you, but you put up excuse, excuse after excuse after excuse. After excuse. After reason, reason after reason. Why? At least in your own mind. You cannot do that, that thing. What the Lord has commanded you to do. The Lord always gives yet another response. Verse 10. Moses said unto the Lord. I'm not eloquent. The excuses are there. Verse 11. The Lord said unto him. Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have rhetorical question here. Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he he said, O my Lord. Look at verse 13. You know I nearly cry. I shudder every time I read that 13th verse. I'm nearly preaching it here with even the reading. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And we'll deal with that verse presently. But those are very strong words. Let me put it that way. Let me give you a sneak preview. Let me let the cat out of the bag a little bit in case you fall asleep later on. Those are very strong words from Moses. In fact, we see verse 14 just how strong the word, just his heart that was behind the words that flooded out of his lips. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. I was going to read on, but we'll leave the reading there, please. Let us read that part of the verse again, and then I'll ask you to stand with me for a moment as we pray. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Let us change our position, let us stand. We'll ask for God's blessing upon this, the remainder of the meeting, upon the preaching of his word. The Lord speak to each and every one of us this evening, even as... We come prepared to hear his word. Father, I thank thee that thou art one of our number tonight. I thank thee, Lord, that we can sing. We haven't sung it yet, but maybe we will. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Lord, I pray that thou might speak to some individual, or indeed individuals, tonight. Speak, Lord, as thou was speaking to this man of God all those years ago. Teach us lessons from this thy word. Lord, give us something tonight that we cannot escape, we cannot run away from. Jonah tried it, and it failed. But Lord, I pray that thou would move us tonight. Move us in a mighty way. And Lord, I pray that thou would send us out of the tent at the end of the night, changed and changed for the better. For thy glory alone we do plead. Amen. You can take your seats again, please. As we consider this portion of Holy Scripture together. You know, I thought about this. Over this past couple of days, I thought about this as we Stand and labor and work and do all that we do here in this particular Oxford in England. And maybe you're wondering why I'm saying it like that. Maybe you're wondering why I'm referring him to as this particular Oxford in England. Because this evening finds us here. Sounds a bit like Beirut. If this was home in Belfast, we'd be taking cover. We'd think we're under attack. But of course it's Guy Fawkes Night. We don't do Guy Fawkes Night. We do the 11th Night. We'll do the 15th of August. Want to give a bit of balance there. Isn't that right, brother? We do different nights, but we don't do this night. And if we heard all that sort of noise outside, we may be running for cover. Because here we are, but we'll not do that, because here we are in Oxford, England. However, I want to tell you this evening about a baby boy that was born... Way over three and a half thousand miles away from here. Now you're maybe wondering who that might be. Over three and a half thousand miles from this very spot. I measured it in Google Maps in my study on Monday morning as I prepared for this meeting today. Three and a half thousand miles from this Oxford, we find another. We find another. You see this little boy that I'm telling you about? was born in Oxford County in one of the southernmost parts of Ontario in Canada. In fact, on the 10th of February, 1859, over 163 years ago, Jonathan Goforth was born. Who has heard of Jonathan Goforth? I know that some of you have not only heard of him, but know more, I'm sure, about his life story than even I do. And I've read his biography. You see, all those miles away, over three and a half thousand, in a different Oxford, all those years away, young Jonathan Goforth was born. Now, there was nothing particularly remarkable about Jonathan or his early upbringing. He was the seventh of 11 children, born into a normal, is there any such thing as normal? A normal farming home. But it has to be said this evening that as we think about him, as we speak about him, it has to be said that the Lord had great plans for his life. Great plans that would not only touch the lives, but indeed the the eternities of tens of thousands of individuals. Not only in his native land, not only in Canada, but worldwide. 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 The Lord used Jonathan Goforth in a mighty way for many, many years. In fact, for the years of his 77 years of his life, he died in October 1936. God used him in bringing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the people of China in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, in fact, right up to his death. And I would love to take time this evening. I would love to speak to you just now about how God used that man throughout his lifetime, throughout all the miles that he traveled. But I'm not going to do that. In fact, I'm not going to tell you anything at all about that man's ministry. But what I do want to tell you about this evening, because the Lord has impressed this upon my heart, What I do want to tell you about just now and for a few minutes and thinking of this passage of Holy Scripture that we've read together is about how God himself called him into his work. Because I firmly believe it this evening that God is working with and you are wrestling with him. I'm speaking to some individual tonight. I know that. Is God speaking and wrestling with you? You see, the account of his call to, let's call it, foreign service is recorded in his own biography. It's not an autobiography, an auto. It comes from the Greek word autos, which means a biography written by oneself. It's rather a biography. In fact, this biography that I read and studied was written by his wife after his death. But you know there were many elements, especially of the early part of that biography, many parts of that biography, of that tremendous record in fact that were taken directly from old diaries and old journals and are therefore, those sections are therefore written in his own words. And I want you to think about that tonight. Because he was one who whore us his heart in his sleeve. He said this in fact of his call. Not about his foreign service, but rather early days, first steps, his call to foreign service. He said this Although I was clearly led to be a minister of the gospel, I rejected all thought of being a foreign missionary. All my thoughts and plans were for work in Canada. In fact, he went on, he said, while attending, he told us the scene. While attending high school, I heard that Dr. G.L. McKay of Formosa, and that's in Argentina, was speaking, or due to speak, in Knox Church in Ingersoll. And this schoolmate that told him about it persuaded him to go to the meeting. And he told us in his biography, in fact in his own words, of how the Lord dealt with him in that meeting. Is God dealing with you in this meeting tonight? You've heard the accounts of missionaries. You've heard about my men and women and families, indeed, have been called out of their comfort zones to go somewhere else. But what about you? He said this about that meeting. Dr. McKay, in his vivid manner, pressed home the needs and claims of Formosa upon us. Among other things, he said, for two years I've been galloping down Canada, trying to persuade some young man to come over to Formosa to help me but in vain. It seems, this man said with heavy heart, it seems that no one has caught the vision. I'm therefore going back alone. It'll not be long, said Dr. Mackay or McKay, it'll not be long before my bones will be lying on some Formosan hillside. To me, the heartbreak is that no young man has heard the call to come and carry on the work that I have begun. As I listened to those words, said, Jonathan, go forth. I was overwhelmed with shame. Had the floor opened up and swallowed me out of sight, it would have been a relief. And this is the line that caught me. And the shivers have gone up my spine now as I think of this line. Now, these words weren't written for sensationalism. These words were written by Jonathan Goforth in his own journal for his own eyes only. But his wife uncovered them after his death. You think of that. They weren't written for others. But he said this as he listened to those words. There was I bought with the precious blood of Christ daring to dispose of my life as I please. Now you think about that. We stood at the open air today and we told as many people as would listen. As many people as were in earshot of our voices about how my Savior paid the ultimate price. And we know the gospel records. We know the detail that Luke and others enter into. We know how my Savior paid the highest cost possible Do these words not mean something to us tonight? There was I, bought with the precious blood of Christ, daring to dispose of my life as I pleased. I heard the Lord's voice saying, Who will go for us and whom shall we send? And I answered in the quietness of his own own heart in that meeting, in that school, Here am I, send me. From that hour, he went on to say, I became a foreign missionary. Now, he didn't go immediately. I thought about this over this past couple of days. He didn't pack his bags. He didn't book tickets. He didn't move immediately. But his heart and his mind was changed. He was steadfast that he was going. Took a long time for that to work out. What stage are you at tonight? Have you resolved, as he did, those words, here am I, send me. Or are you still holding back? From that hour, I became a foreign missionary. I eagerly read everything I could find on foreign missions and set to work to get others to get the vision that I had caught of the claims of the unreached, unevangelized millions on earth. You know, whenever I think about that, and think about how God moved that young man at that stage, I just wondered. What about every individual in this meeting or those watching along online? Is God wrestling with, is God dealing with somebody in the, in the house of God tonight? Is God dealing with someone? Maybe we heard earlier about someone who got a link sent to them by their sister. Is God dealing with you as a result of this meeting going forth tonight? You know, I love the words of the Apostle Paul. In fact, Saul, even before his very name, everything was changed about him. His very name was changed. His whole character was changed. His name was changed. I love the words of Saul while he was still Saul. The one, think of it, the one who struck absolute terror into every member of the early church. Not even just a mention of his name. But just seconds after he had met, seconds after, There's people here tonight who are saved decades, never mind years. And you're still saying no to God. Saul, seconds after the Lord had dealt with him, seconds after God had met with him, what did he say? In trembling and astonishment, we read in Acts 9 verse 6, he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Are you still holding back from the Lord this evening? We haven't even got to this portion. I apologize for that. I want us to think of this portion tonight. I want us to dwell upon God's word for a few moments tonight about these verses that we have, especially, but not solely, but especially from Exodus 3, because here we have a one, think of it, a one to one meeting between God and this man Moses. I believe the Lord, I firmly believe this, and I've mentioned this already, I'm sure, and it bears repetition, that God is one who deals with the individual. God's working with you tonight. God's speaking to and challenging individual souls tonight. This individual, this one to one meeting. You see, that was the day that God revealed himself and indeed his will for what was going to lie ahead to Moses. Very simply, this evening, my message is entitled When God Says Go. Go. And the first thing that I want us to think about, it's there for us in the passage. Look at the very first opening verses. How the Lord, and I mentioned this in the opening air, open air today as I stood on my wee step. I've never preached on a step before. It's great. You get to project your voice. I think my voice went another six inches past where it normally goes. I see some of you are smiling. It went up and down the street and bounced off the walls. It was great. Because tonight, or t- this afternoon, I asked the same question of the people going up and down the street busily in Oxford. As I'm asking you tonight, who are sitting patiently in those seats. I asked the question about how God has stopped you in your tracks. We'll have it here in this passage about how the Lord stopped Moses in his tracks that day. Because I'm sure in Exodus 3, I'm sure the day that we read off here started off like any other day. Moses was leading his father-in-law's sheep across the desert, really, across that region, across that area, to a place of fresh grazing, a place that the Bible calls, look at the first verse, look at what it tells us in the heart of that verse, a place that the Bible calls the backside of the desert, the most unlikely place and spot. Really what he was doing there, he was leading the sheep to the base of Mount Horeb, where God revealed himself to him in a miraculous way, In the bush that burned and yet was not consumed. You know ladies and gentlemen in this meeting and those watching along online. And thinking back especially to what was thought about already about Jonathan Goforth's call to foreign service. On that evening that he met there in that schoolhouse. Over three and a half thousand miles from this spot. From this Oxford. Over a century and a half ago the Lord stopped that young man Jonathan go forth in his tracks and he turned him around in a way that would have seemed to him totally impossible that he would have never even dreamt about even in his wildest dreams just as he did with Moses what about you tonight what about you let me ask you in fact let me challenge you this evening what has God placed in your path to cause you to stop and to think? You see, here we have in Exodus chapter 3 a miracle. In fact, let's go deeper than that. It was a theophany. The, that's theo, is the word for God in the original. In fact, it was, to go even narrower than that, it was a Christophany. This is a pre-incarnation appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Think about that. The Lord revealed himself to Moses on that day. And he was placed there in the very route that Moses would be taking that day. I believe it is absolutely no accident that you are in the meeting tonight. I believe that. No accident that you've been sent this link. No accident that you've stumbled across this Facebook page or YouTube upload. No accident. In fact, I'll go further than that. I believe that the Lord has planned to deal with someone in the meeting tonight. In fact, already is. And the first part of that is that he would stop you dead in your tracks. That you might wait upon him. And his direction for you. Perhaps he's speaking to you. Look at verse 3 and 4. Look at verse 3 and 4. And I've never really looked at these verses. And seen what I've noticed over this past number of days. On Monday afternoon in my study. Look at verse 3. Moses said, now look at it carefully here. It's so easy to skip over verses. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Full stop, new sentence. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. Do you see that? God called unto him out of the mouth of the bush, and he said, and so on. We've talked about the double knock and so on. But let us... Highlight and let us focus and dwell upon the little juncture between those two verses. I will now turn aside and see this great sight where the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, then he spoke. Then he began to deal with them. Do you notice what we're told here? The way the words are framed here. That it was only the Lord only began to reveal himself to this man whenever he actually stopped and began to take notice of what was happening right in front of him. I sincerely believe this. I sincerely believe with all my heart this evening. I sincerely believe this. And I preach this to myself before I preach it to anyone else. I sincerely believe that busyness is a tool that can be used of the devil. We can be too active in whatever we're doing. We can be too busy. And I believe the God of this world often uses that as one of his devices. My motto verse, that's in all my calling cards and things like that, is Psalm 46 verse 10. I love that verse. Because I need to be constantly reminded of that truth. That I must, A commandment from the Lord. I must be still to know that he is God. Very often the Lord sends something to help us to put the brakes on. And I have to be honest with you that even in my own personal testimony, and I've shared it with many over this past couple of days, yet again as always seems to happen when we come over here, that is what I personally was doing for many, many years. In fact, I used my own busyness even before the meeting started tonight. I spoke to one of the brethren and told him of this. My own busyness, my own involvement in certain aspects of the church. I was a youth leader for around a decade and I used that to effectively, to my shame this evening, say no to God as he was challenging me about coming into Bible college and study for the ministry to my shame I say that. In fact, for around four years, I said no to God before he finally broke me on one occasion, through certain means and through certain things that happened. Through a man actually passing away and dying in my very arms, showing me the fragility of life. Before I finally yielded. And said okay to God and applied and all the rest of it. Let me say it again. Let me ask it again. What does it take to stop you in your tracks? What does it take to cause you, as Saul did, before him already, in fear and trembling to cry, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The greatest ability that we could have for the Lord is availability. That's a cliche that we often use. Don't let it be a cliche, but let it sink into your heart. Oh yes, the Lord stopped this man in his tracks, but there's something else here too. God had a particular plan. God knew exactly what he was going to do. You see, there's no plan B with God. He knew what he was going to do. In fact, that's why we read so many of the verses here. We have much detail given to us, especially in chapter 3, but also in chapter 4 as well, of what God had planned to do. He had planned everything, absolutely everything, every detail to the letter. The Lord had planned it all. He knew what he was going to do. He knew how he was going to do it. He knew when he was going to do it. But fundamental and central to God's perfect plan for his own people was that he would use this mere man. And you know, that thought humbles me. That thought causes me to stop and think and take note and take stock because fundamental to God's plan and his purpose that he was going to use someone, going to use Moses as his human instrument. We always find that to be the case. That God is pleased to use the human instrument. You know, it humbles me to think about that. What about you, personally? Humanly speaking, what about you today? Perhaps the Lord has been challenging you for some time now about a particular task. You've heard a lot of detail about needs. About open air ministries, about Works in other countries, other lands, other nations. You've heard about needs. You know, and it's so easy to point the finger at others and say, they would be ideal for that task. They would be ideal for that task. But what about you? What about yourself? What about me, Lord? What wilt thou have me to do? Perhaps you think that there's nothing that you can do for the Lord. Oh, I think about particularly a day. That I heard about a true story. And this lady really, really was burdened to do something for the Lord. But she could never think of what she could do. And she asked her friends and she asked those in her church. What could I do for the Lord? And they really dismissed her. Because she had a problem. She had a serious problem. She had a disability. She was totally blind. And she couldn't write hymns like Fanny Crosby. And she didn't know what she could do and she, she really questioned her usefulness to the Lord and actually fell for a period of time into, uh, into uh, despair and despondency about it all. But then she came up with a plan. She lived in a big city. A business district in the city. And there was a lovely park nearby her home. And this was her plan. When you hear this, this is a stroke of genius. Every day, especially a good weather day, she took her white stick and her, her cane, as you would call it in the States, and she made her way down to one of the lovely wee park benches in the middle of that, in the middle of that green area, and she sat down plump right in the middle of one of those park benches and simply waited. Where do you hear this? This is brilliant. I thought this was class. And she waited until some of the office workers or some of the people from nearby came along and sat down beside her to eat their lunch or to take their break. She waited a wee minute till she was settled and then she produced a gospel tract from her bag. And she didn't tell any lies here. But she maybe didn't tell the whole truth of why she was there, her motive. But she didn't tell any lies. She spoke to the person beside her and she would have introduced herself to them as someone who was completely blind and she said this, someone has given me this little track or this little leaflet. Now that wasn't a lie. And then she said, you know, I have a problem. I'm totally blind and I can't read it myself. Again, that wasn't a lie. And then she made a request to that person, whoever it was, Would you please do me a favor and read what it says on it? How could you refuse such a request? And of course that person, even though they might have only had 10 or 15 minutes of a break, they would have read that little gospel tract, that little leaflet, that little whatever she had in her handbag from cover to cover. then, of course, that lady would have made comment on how great that story is and how wonderful God's love is. And then she would have left this little comment. You know, that's no use to me because I'm blind. Reminded them. Take that with you and think about what it says. And then she would have waited for victim number two to sit down. Isn't that a class story? Now, that's a true story. Now, I'll tell you what's more than that. That is something that only she could do. I couldn't get away with that. I get away with a lot. I get away with a lot. I can speak to people and I can stand today and have them here 10 yards, 20 yards, 30 yards, that way and that way. I can get away with a lot. I couldn't get away with that. But let me tell you more. What may I tell you this? There's something that you can do for the Lord that nobody else in this room can do. There's something that you can do for the Lord that the Lord has equipped you for. In fact, with her, what was she equipped? By equipping her, by taking away faculties from that particular lady. He gave her opportunities that nobody else would have. And I firmly believe it, that there's people in this tent tonight. There's people watching along on this evening that can do something for the Lord something for the Lord that no one else can do. You will meet individuals. You will have opportunities. You will be in places that this preacher or Pastor Merlin or any of the other pastors are full-time or part-time or whatever. I don't believe in part-time service, but any other worker will ever have. What about you tonight? You know, it's so easy to point the finger and say, they should Whereas all the while, there's three fingers pointing back. What about me? What if, what if I shoot? What's the Lord speaking to me about? What's the Lord challenging me about? You think about Moses here. I think sometimes we get a view of Moses. We get a skewed view. We get a false view. We think he's this young whippersnapper, this young lad running about. He was a man of 80 years of age. We often make appeals from puppets like this and others. For the young people, and we do need the young people. I played rugby for a long time. You mightn't think that looking at me. You'd think I maybe was a tiddlywinks player or played something like that or whatever. No, I played rugby for a long time. Representative rugby as well. I played for my regiment and my battalion and my local club as well. I played rugby. I loved it. I loved it. In fact, one year they asked me to be captain of a particular team. And I'd learnt a lot up until then about Rugby, but that year I really learned something, and this is what I learned that a team involves youth and speed and strength and all the rest of it. Yes, it involves all that. But somewhere in the middle of the back line, I want somebody there with a level head. Youth and experience. Somewhere in the pack, yes, I want young men that are quick and strong and all the rest of it. But somewhere in the pack I want a man of experience. A cool head. Sometimes we can look at the young people and we can say, there's nothing for me to do because I'm no longer young. I believe there's something every single one of us can do, regardless of your age, regardless of your condition, regardless of thinking of that woman who went down to that park bench every day that she was able. Even with a disability, the Lord can use that. We can turn that around for him. There was Moses, a married man, settled down man, a man with a family, a man with a job, a man of 80 years of age. And if you want proof of that, you'll find it in the canon of scripture. In chapter 7, verse 7, Moses was four score years old when they spake unto Pharaoh. So we'll Sometimes forget those truths. Everything was just going right for him. He was even, as we read in Exodus 2, verse 21, he was even content with his life. That's the very word that the Spirit of God uses. Content with his life up until that time. But yet the Lord chose in his perfect will, his plan, his purpose to use this man. I want you to turn, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's so clear there how God's ways are better than ours. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we read right from 22, verse 22, right through to the end of verse 29 about how that is the case. In fact, look at verse 25, what it tells us there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. I trust you find the place. Tells us there this lovely truth that we can hang on to. It says this, we can hang everything in this. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. Is God calling you? The weakness of God is stronger than men. Is God calling you? For we see your calling, brethren, verse 26, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but look at verse 27, it's there. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen, I love that little phrase, that turn of phrase, God hath chosen twice in that verse, God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and beast things, that means simple, beast things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things that are not to bring to thing, not things that are. And there's a reason for that. God does everything that he does for a reason. And the reason's in verse 29. Do you see it? That no flesh should glory in his presence. For God's glory tonight, is he calling you? What about you today, dear believer? Are you, and I challenge myself here more than you know, am I sensitive to his calling? Are we sensitive to the voice of the Lord? Moses had just spent 40 years essentially doing nothing in the wilderness. Doing nothing. Doing very little of note in his life for the Lord. Yet right here, right now, he's been commissioned with the greatest task. I thought about this. The greatest task that any Jew has ever been commissioned with either before or since. You see, God's ways are perfect. What about you today? If he's calling you, he's calling you for a reason. Oh, we better move on and just think about our last point here. We've thought about how the Lord stopped this man of God in his tracks that day, about how God had a perfect plan, a perfect purpose. He knew every detail. But I want us to think this evening in closing about how the Lord is indeed grieved. Would we want to grieve the Lord? In fact, how the Lord is angered when we disobey his revealed will, his word, his purpose, when he speaks to us. You see, the Lord had revealed himself to him. He let it all out in consummate detail for him that day. Told him exactly what he was going to do. And all we get, or should I say, but all we get from Moses was one excuse after the other. Does that sum you up this evening? Does that sum me up? One excuse after the other. From beginning to end. One excuse after the other. Now at the beginning we could pass it off as humility. We could underline it with that. Reason. Humility. In fact we see a great deal of humility from this man in these verses. However it had come to a point when it was no longer about humility. It actually turned the corner. It turned out into, and I don't want this to describe me at every any stage. I must be careful here. But it turns into outright rebellion against God and his revealed word. Now look at the detail here. You see, in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, the scene set. Verse 3 and 4, we have really Moses speaking to himself. He He turns aside to witness this great sight, this miracle. In verse 4, the Lord, think of this. The Lord speaks to and reveals himself to Moses for the first time in his life. 80 years of age, this is the first time the Lord's ever spoke to this man. Now at the very end of that verse, Moses uttered just two words to the Lord. Now we've already told you about the words in italics. Three words here in our English on our authorized version or English version, but two words in the original. Here am I. Now from that point, and I maybe you think I'm sad here, I counted these words. From that point, the Lord spoke to Moses in a continuous narrative, right from the start of verse 5, right through to the verse 10, without a break. Now you think of the privilege. You think of the detail that he's given there, but you think of the privilege that this man had. 202 words in our authorized version. They're accounted now. If I'm wrong, you can let me know after. In fact, three of those words are in, are, are in italics. 199 words the Lord spoke to this one man. Now, that is something. That is significant. However, at the very next verse, verse 11, Moses' reply is given there and the excuses start to roll off his tongue. Does that describe us? Does that describe me? Does that describe you? Who am I that I should go on to Pharaoh? Oh well, we could maybe, I've said this already, we could maybe put it down at least in part to humility. But there comes a point where they become an affront against God. Look at chapter 4. Moses answered and said, but, but they will not believe me. Why is it with man we always have a but? But, dare we question the omniscient, all-powerful God? So often we do. In fact, we find the Lord's patience was still holding up with Moses to that point. He gave him an answer to every word. Notice that in the reading. Every concern, every question, every thing that was thrown up there, God gave a brilliant response to it. A perfect response. Isn't that right? But look down to verse 10. In fact, verse 10 to 16. But look at verse 10. Because Moses raised another issue, that of eloquence. Verse 11, the Lord revealed, or the Lord gives a, a lovely reply to it and deals with the concerns, followed it up, really, and a command there, a black and white command in verse 12, now therefore go. He underlined it. This should have been it. Okay, I've dealt with every concern. I've dealt with every issue. I've dealt with every problem. You see the way the words are framed? Now, therefore, go. That's the title of our message tonight. When God says go. But. And here's where the real but lies. And I'll tell you whenever the Lord showed me this in the study on Monday afternoon, Monday morning. I have to admit to you. It affected me so much I just broke down. Because Moses went too far. Have you gone too far? Look at verse 13. Moses went too far in that very next verse. God had put an end to the matter there. Now, therefore, go. In fact, he supplied more there. I will be with thy mouth. I will teach thee what thou shalt say. But then he went too far in verse 13. And I've never thought of that before. You see, effectively here, what was Moses saying? Let me boil it down now. There's not a lot of words here, but let me boil it down to even fewer. He was really saying to God, the omniscient, all-seeing, all-knowing God, send someone else. Does that describe the way we treat God at times? Now, whenever the Lord done this upon me, I, I broke down. Because I thought about that, I dwelt upon that thought because it dawned on me that this is essentially today, in essence, one of the main problems with the missionary enterprise of the church today. In 2022, I believe this. What is the main problem that we face today? Is it new laws coming in about hate speech? No. Is it new conversion therapy ban? These things are not good, but that's not the main problem. Is it problems with local authorities, local councils, local police stopping open airs and things like that? I believe those are not the main problems that we're facing today. Is it communist countries closing things down, making missionary enterprise almost impossible? It's not even that. I'll tell you what the problem is. It's ordinary, everyday Christians such as you and me. Effectively, look at the verse 13 again. Effectively telling God to send someone else. I believe that's the real problem today. Pointing the finger at others as we say to God. Send someone else. In fact, it's only then that we read God's justified response from verse 14 right through, and we don't have time to deal with that all. About how the anger, not just the displeasure, not just grieved and small lettering, not just something minor, but the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. But let me say this this evening, friends. Even in that, there was a future for Moses. In the Lord's work. Maybe you feel you've gone too far. You've said no for the final time to the Lord. I believe tonight is an opportunity. A gold plated one. What will you do? How will you respond? Will you say no to God yet again in this meeting? Or will you submit to his perfect will for your life? Will you say no to God? May the Lord forgive us for such response, or will you say, here am I, send me. May the Lord bless what has been of him this evening. May the Lord bless his word to each of our hearts. Thank you, Pastor.
1: I want you to sit right where you are for just a moment and think about those words. I've written a few things down that God has spoken specifically to me about. Would you look this way for a second? How many of you believe God has put his finger on something in your life? Would you raise your hand? Some particular thing. Okay. We're not guaranteed that he'll ever speak to you about that thing again. This might be your last opportunity that he speaks to you about it. Why don't we just take a moment to pray? We would be obedient. We would stop arguing with God and bow our knee in submission to him. This might be the last chance. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks for the way that thou hast spoken. And we pray that tonight in true humility we would bow our knee before thee. No longer thinking of ourselves. No longer making excuses as to why it should be someone else. But instead in humble submission may we bow our knees, our heads and our hearts and say unto thee tonight, here am I, send me. Perhaps it's a matter of sin that needs our knee bowing in submission to to Thee. Perhaps it's an unwillingness, an unwilling heart that we need to repent of. Whatever it may be, show us, Lord, clearly, plainly. By Thy Spirit tonight, give us courage to obey Thee. We thank Thee for the word that we have heard. Use us, we pray. Help us not to let this opportunity pass us by. But help us to obey. For we ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.